Good morning, church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at Westview, and uh, just a joy to be able to be a part of this morning with you. Thank you for welcoming us into your living rooms, your kitchens, your dining rooms, wherever it is uh, where we are gathering to worship this morning. I want to tell you a story as we get going here, and maybe you've heard these stories before. I know I have, at least, and and maybe it's better phrased as a question, and, and that's this. Have you been in a church before where you've seen that orangey-brown carpet? It's a weird question to begin a sermon with, but I remember a city I served in years ago that actually had that kind of orangey-brown retro carpet, and it made me wonder, maybe it does for you as well, was this carpet chosen by the person who won that argument in the church AGM or who lost the argument in that church AGM? You see, for the next few weeks, I want to walk us through a series I'm calling Next, Leadership Through Liminal Spaces. Why? Well, because we as a church family have just experienced an incredible leadership shift. We used to experience the departure of two beloved pastoral team members who served us faithfully for over 20 years. And there's no question that in this season that we find ourselves grieving. And I think that's okay. It's okay to feel that sense of loss. And I realize that this is a significant time of change for for us as a church family. It feels like this next month, as we have said goodbye to two previous pastors, including our lead pastor, and as we prepare next month to welcome our new lead pastor, we find ourselves in what I'm saying is a liminal space. This word liminal comes from the Latin root limen, which means threshold. This liminal space is kind of this crossing over, uh, a space where you kind of left something behind and you haven't yet fully entered into what's next. It's, it's a transition space. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. If you've ever driven a car with a manual transmission, When you shift that car from first gear into second gear, that space in between those gears, that's a liminal space. I remember learning to drive standard on uh, my buddy Matt's 1984 Chevette. No, 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 not a Corvette. No, no, not a Chevelle, uh, a Chevette. I put an image on the screen, actually, to illustrate what it was. Not a pretty car. And it wasn't a pretty experience either as I experienced these liminal spaces and what my buddy Matt experienced was really not this smooth transition from one gear to the next, but rather it was that good old grind it till you find it type of experience. But in that moment, when you're shifting from one gear to another, there's still forward momentum. But for the car, for that split second, it's not actually in any gear. And I feel like this is the word that best describes where we're at in this moment in time as a church family. You see, we're in this liminal space. We have great momentum. There's no question that God is on the move and he is doing great things. But we find ourselves in this space in between, a space in between lead pastors. And so for the next month, you're stuck with me. And I think that's okay, but maybe we should pray. So let's do that this morning. 
Jesus, I thank you that you meet us where we are at, and yet you call us forward. Yes, sometimes it feels like it's into the great unknown, but yet we trust you having gone ahead. And so help us to fix our gaze on you in this liminal space. Help us to see you and to know you and to follow you. Speak to us, Lord, through your word, through this time together. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The author of the Hebrews writes this, says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in the following book of the New Testament, James writes this. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Numerous other texts in the Old and New Testament point towards the same thing. And it's this, that there is a constancy and consistency with our God. You see, he does not change. He remains the same. And in this season of great change for us as a church, I feel like this is a topic that that we would benefit greatly from, from spending some time looking at over these next few weeks. And so this morning's message really is going to work like this. Before we dive into the scriptures this morning, I want to give us a bit of a context to kind of set the tone and to help us understand this this concept of change, this idea of what does change look like in our culture, in the church, and then lastly, in the scriptures. And so that brings us to our first point this morning and looking at change in our culture. You see, change in our culture seems to be expected. It's almost assumed in a way it feels. And perhaps there's no better illustration of this, of how fast change happens than when it comes to technology. So the reality is you have in your pocket more technology on a phone than what it took to land the Apollo 11 on the moon. I did some research. I was nerding out on this one, and it got interesting. This means that the iPhone in your pocket has more than 100,000 times the processing power of the computer that landed that team on the moon over 50 years ago. I want to show you something that, again, helps to kind of illustrate where we're going with this this morning. And that's this idea of a Rogers Bell Curve. The Rogers Bell Curve was designed to help best illustrate where individuals are at in terms of adoption of technology. So the image uh, will be on your screen in in just a second. And, And I want to ask a question this morning is, where do you place yourself on that curve? There's kind of five key quadrants that you can look at. There's the innovators, the early adopters, the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. Where would you fall on that grid? For me, I'm probably in that early adopters. Technology for me has always been one of those things that I've had a thirst for. It's always been one of those things for me that I have just found great passion in pursuing. And again, let me illustrate it with a bit of a story here this morning. So Back when I was attending Briarcrest during my undergrad years, this would have been 2002, a buddy of mine had just come back from South Korea uh, where he was teaching English for a few months, and he brought back something that I'd never seen before. He came back with what he called a jump drive. Now, this was something totally unknown to me. I mean, what we were using to save our files on our computers at Briarcrest at that time were those good old 3.5-inch kind of floppy disks, and and some other people even had those kind of older style things. And 
you could put about a 1.44 megabytes on that good old 3.5 floppy disk. But he came back with something with 128 megabytes. And I was conceived in that moment as I saw it that I needed this. There was no question I was losing my mind at how cool of an item this was. And so I dropped a number of hints. I think I basically just told Charity, we were dating by this point, um, I need this. This is going to be the best Christmas present ever. And she came through. And that Christmas morning, I opened up my jump drive of all 128 megabytes that cost her $128. One dollar for one meg. Go to Costco, go to Staples, drive in there, head into the mall right now and have a look. And you can find a 512 gig jump drive for $150. That's 3,413 megs for a buck. I'm such a nerd. But I was so excited for this jump drive. It was the coolest Christmas present ever. And so that Rogers bell curve, again, shows you kind of maybe where I'm at when it comes to the adoption of technology and, and my familiarity with change as it comes to this area. But the reality is for us is that in as much as some are early adopters, for many, change is something that we don't so easily embrace. It's hard. It's awkward. And I want to be clear with something this morning as we jump into this sermon that this isn't going to be a sermon where we look back fondly upon, you know, the good old days. Because I think if we're honest, if we look at culture and we look at the changes we've experienced in culture, I don't think that the good old days were as maybe as good as we thought they were. I mean, even if you look at the last 100 years, let's just kind of take a big chunk of history that gives us a pretty broad scope of change. A hundred years ago, my wife and my daughter would not have been recognized as a person. It wasn't until October 18th, 1929, that the famous five here in Alberta radically changed this concept of personhood and that women would be identified and understood as people. I mean, even the advancements of medicine over the course of this 100 years has been remarkable to see what has gone on. And even in this last year with the creation of the COVID vaccines, it's absolutely dumbfounding to see how incredibly rapid culture is changing and the advancements that we're seeing. I mean, Charity and I received our first dose of vaccine a few weeks ago, and, and we're delighted to be able to say that we have. And that would not have been possible without the incredible change that we have seen culturally in the advancement of medicine. But sometimes we just forget how far we've come. And sometimes we still fear change. So what does this all have to do with us as a church? Well, I think it's best explained this way. We embrace change when we are the ones enacting it. But we fear change when it's enacted upon us. And so when it comes to technology and culture, we have a fair amount of control of how we engage with it and how we embrace it. And that brings me to my second point this morning, looking at change in the church. Because the reality of change in the church is that oftentimes it happens at a snail's pace. And I think whether you like to admit it or not, when it comes to our experiences with the church, 
there's this comfort with knowing that when we walk into a church building, there's this sense of familiarity. Now, I know this last year has changed everything as we look at it when it comes to understanding how church works and what is the church. And we know that it's not just these four walls that you and I, we are the church. But let's be honest. I think we have these kind of unspoken assumptions sometimes that when we walk in, we want things to to look a certain way or the songs to sound a certain way or the pastors to dress a certain way. And like I said, sometimes change happens at a snail's pace. And we're like, that's not how we used to do it. So what advice can I offer us as we dive further into this morning? Well, Heraclitus of of Ephesus lived in 535 to 475 BC. And this famous Greek philosopher said this, Panta Re. Put into our modern language, the only constant is change. We face changes every day, whether it's the simple change of weather or a sudden change in our schedule. But change affects all of us and it's happening all around us. And yet when we dive into the scriptures, when we spend time in the word of God, we read something different. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1.17 declares, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And as I said at the beginning of this message this morning, we as a church have recently experienced incredible changes. And so I titled this series next, Leadership Through Liminal Spaces, because I feel that's best to describe the way we are right now that this has been a year where you and I, that we have had to change the way we do church. It has been a year that has caused us to pivot or whatever COVID word you want to use in this moment. But there has been so much change this past year. As I joked at the opening message story that oftentimes church change happens at a snail's pace and that for some churches they get hung up on such silly details like what color the carpet should be and as i said i don't know who won or lost that argument when you see the orangey brown carpet all over the sanctuary floor so while i while i realize this sounds like a lot of background information i want it to help frame where we're going to go now for the rest of this morning's message and for the rest of this series. And that's my third point this morning, to look at change in the scriptures. You see, the Bible offers us numerous examples, numerous stories about change. Some help us to see the good that comes from change, and and others help us to see the reality of the challenges of change. Our scriptures again this morning reinforce this principle that, that our Lord is a firm foundation that he is unchanging, that he is steadfast, and ultimately he is the place where we are called to put our trust in these liminal spaces. I want to read you those scriptures again and just help us to, to ground ourselves in them as we get going here this morning and in these next few weeks. 
Again, Malachi 3, 6a, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. And so church, hear me when I say this, you and I are called to take heart in this scripture. But we cannot be naive to the fact that change is still a very real part of our lives, especially in this year. So to help us navigate this month of change, what I'm going to do over these next few weeks is each Sunday, we're going to look at a few key stories of the scriptures. A few key stories that help illustrate major changes in leadership as we read them in the Bible. Stories that help us to see the need for transition of leadership. Stories of when things go so great, it's just absolutely amazing. And then some stories as well as what happens when things don't go as well as planned. And you see, church, throughout this message, I want us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because we know that Christ himself is our good shepherd. He will lead us. He will care for his flock through all of this. So let me walk us through these examples that we'll look at over the next few weeks. And I'll just highlight them briefly for us this morning and share a few pieces of information. And then in the next few weeks, we're going to dive a lot deeper. And the first one is this. We'll look at the transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua. Perhaps one of the most storied leaders in all the Bible, if not the Old Testament, Moses' transition of leadership to Joshua helps us to see several valuable lessons of what it looks like when it comes to change, and especially in a position of a leadership transition. Dale alluded to this a little bit last week that helps kind of set the tone for this morning. Moses led Israel for 40 years. And following his passing, Israel would need to accept that reality of the transition from him to Joshua. And so to prepare them for this moment, God had told Moses to lay hands on Joshua and to give him that authority, not just to recognize him as a leader, but so that Israel would obey him. And so we read in Numbers 27, 18, and 20. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Give him some of your authorities. The whole Israelite community will obey him. And so we see here in the scriptures, this plan of succession has begun. That Moses has laid hands upon Joshua, and that there is this call that we see from this old leader to this new leader. We see in Deuteronomy 3.17 that Moses called Joshua and said to him in sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. You see, this leadership transition story is a story of strength, of courage. Two key attributes that help us in our own lives to navigate great seasons of change and transition. And what this story helps us to understand is the blessing of one leader's intentional mentoring, discipling, and training to take that baton and to run with it, as Dale 
shared last week in his final message. You see, this is a story of when things go well, and we'll look more closely at that next week. The second story I want us to look at is the transition of leadership from Saul to David. Because the truth of the matter is, not every leadership transition goes smoothly. I've personally served in two churches where I have watched lead pastors fail morally and disqualify themselves from ministry. These are difficult situations that make it even harder, not just on the pastoral team, but on the people who call that church their home. It's a difficult season for any church to navigate. David's selection as a king was a replacement decision made by God himself. And we hear from the prophet Samuel that God was extremely disappointed in the current king, King Saul. God had previously appointed Saul as the leader of the Jewish people. He had blessed Saul's reign with military success. And it appears that God's original intentions were to allow Saul to reign as king for many years. But in the process of obeying God's command, Saul went to war against the Amalekites. The direct order from God was to utterly destroy the Amalekite army in 1 Samuel 5, 11 and 12. Saul disobeyed this command by allowing Agag, the king of the Amalekites, to live, by allowing his soldiers to keep the best of the spoils of the battle. It was for this reason that God made the decision to bring about a new king for the nation of Israel. And so I'm inviting Rob Ogilvy, who is our executive minister for our denomination, to actually come and to speak to us on this and to help us understand through his own life experience, having served in many forms of pastoral leadership and now as our executive director, to help us understand how do we navigate through those times when transition doesn't always go well and when we're in a position where we see leadership fail. So I'm looking forward to having him come in a few weeks and to share more on this. The third story uh, from Scripture that I want us to look at more closely will be the, the transition of leadership from Paul to Timothy. I think we see this story in the Scripture as, as one of those takeaway stories that we all want to seek to emulate. We love the story of Paul and Timothy as Paul pours into his young protege. And I think one of the key valuable lessons that we look at in this story that we'll look at in a few more weeks' time is the importance of that mentoring relationship, of how intentional Paul was at pouring his life out into Timothy. One of the best scriptures that highlights this for us is 2 Timothy 2.2, where we read, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And so what Paul is instructing Timothy in this scripture and what he's instructing us as well is to take these things that we have been taught and to teach those, disciple others with them so that they in turn will believe and that they will then disciple others. It's this idea in discipleship that we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That we don't see the end game up close, but we recognize that the end game is a long game. That we are here to continuously see reproduction happen in the lives of people who you and I are pouring our hearts out into. Paul understood this. 
And Paul did this so well with his protege, Timothy, entrusting him with the message of the gospel, calling him, praying for him, sending him to go and make known the good news, to teach and to preach and to make disciples. I think this is what we're called to emulate as well. It's what we're called to apply to our own lives. And so whether you're in a ministry role, whether you're in the marketplace, or whether you find yourself where there are others who simply look up to you and follow you. I remember early on in my ministry year, uh, I had a, let's call him a more seasoned uh, pastor, uh, come alongside me. And, and in that season of my own life, he spoke these words from 1 Timothy 4, chapter 16. And I'll never forget sitting there in the booth one morning of White Spot. If you grew up in BC, you understand that that's where you go for breakfast. There's no better place to go. And we're sitting there in White Spot, and he turns to me, and he just shares these words. As he looks me square in the eyes, he says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that breakfast I'll never forget that moment, being challenged and encouraged with those words that, that I feel still are so valuable and so applicable to us in our own lives. This calling that God had for Timothy and this calling he had for Tyler and that calling he has for each one of us to watch our lives and our doctrine closely. The devil is in the details sometimes, literally if not figuratively. And there are moments in our lives where we get lost, that we drift, where we forget to focus our eyes on Christ. And in those slip-ups, the enemy is waiting like a roaring lion, the scriptures say, waiting to pounce and to devour. You see, this fellow's Desire for me as a young leader was to watch these things, to persevere in them, to continue to run the race, no matter what happened. To keep a close watch. Because the heart of Paul in this, in sharing this verse, was to ensure future generations would continue to follow the Lord. And that should be the goal of each one of us, that we are called to make disciples, to, to live lives that bring glory to God and to share the gospel with others. And I think what all these stories that we'll look at over the next few weeks, what they, what they help us to understand, church, as I mentioned at the beginning of this message, is change is the only constant. Change will happen. It will happen in our lives. It will happen in our culture. It will happen in the church. And in those moments of change, there are two things that can happen. In those moments of leadership transition, either the baton will get passed cleanly from one hand to the other, or it's going to get dropped. And that's where things get messy. And that's where things get hard. And where we're left to pick up the pieces and to clean up the mess. Our response to the changes that we experience 
in our lives will speak much to the maturity of our faith. These scriptures that I referenced throughout this morning and that we will continue to look at over the course of these next few weeks, church, tattoo them on your eyelids. Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Because no matter how comfortable you are with change, it is often a difficult and painful and emotional process. Why I continue to look at these scriptures is because as a church, in these seasons of change, in this liminal space, we need to ask ourselves, in what or, or in who am I trusting in? Where do I look for my own security, where my own stability? Where does my hope come from when everything else seems to be falling apart? Church, in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. And I'm reminded, particularly in this act of breaking bread and drinking from the cup, of Jesus' promise to be with us always. You see, the final words spoken in the Gospel of Matthew declare this. Let's read them. Matthew 28, 19-20, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's the promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, you see, this act of remembrance, of partaking in the bread, in the cup, offers us this tangible reminder of Christ's promise and his presence. Even in these liminal spaces that we find ourselves in, even through these seasons of change where we say goodbye to the familiar and embrace or at least acknowledge the unknown. And so I want to invite you now, church, wherever it is where you are watching this in your homes or your office or wherever it is, to join with me in communion. You see, in this liminal space where perhaps we feel like we're wandering in the desert without a leader, we're not. Because we know that Christ is our guide. He is our good shepherd. And he is our leader. So I invite you, if you have the elements there before you, to get out the bread and the cup, and, and in a moment we'll pray for them. Let me read for us this morning from 1 Corinthians 11, a familiar passage that is often read in communion. Beginning in verse 23 of chapter 11, we read this, church. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. This symbol of my body, we know. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. So church this morning, if we find ourselves in this liminal space, in this in-between, in this moment of uncertainty and unknown, what we can count on, who is dependable, our firm foundation and the rock of our salvation is Jesus. And so I invite you now, let me pray and let's partake of the bread. Jesus, I do thank you for your body that was broken. The cross reminds us of the price you paid. And so as we partake of this bread together, help us to give thanks for what you have done and what you accomplished and what you will continue to do. And we pray this in your name. Amen. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Jesus, again, we come to you thankful for your bloodshed, for the forgiveness of our sins that cleanses us white as snow. And this morning, we give thanks and we remember this new covenant in your blood. We thank you for your great love for us demonstrated on the cross. And we pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to invite Reese and the worship team up in a moment here and they're going to lead us in a final song again to help us acknowledge the work of Christ on the cross this moment of communion where we remember where we give thanks for what Jesus has done that he is our good shepherd that he leads us through these spaces yes it may feel like it is into the great unknown but we know who holds the future. And so we give thanks this morning for Jesus. And in this series, as we continue to look at what does it mean to journey through seasons of change in our own lives, in this church, in leadership, I pray that we all keep our eyes squarely focused on Jesus, our guide, our shepherd, our Lord and our Savior. And so, Father, we do give thanks for all of this as we sing this final song now. May the words on the screen be more than just that. May they be meditations of our heart, worship pleasing to you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your powerful name. Amen.